Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Well Nerds Podcast. This is episode number 60, and I'm here with Adam and Caitlin. Hello, everyone. What's up? We also have a special guest, Amanda, uh, who's Hi. joining us from Maui. So we're across, like, a lot of time zones right now. <laughs> in the future, we're in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Amanda's on here today as our guest. Um, I want to talk to her a little bit about, I mean, basically everything. Like, I want to hear it all. Um, but Amanda and I met in Maui when we were working for Pacific Whale Foundation. Yeah. So um, where should we, how should we start this? Um, I guess maybe let's start with, like, your background on boats. Like, because you're a licensed captain, you're uh you fish commercially, and then you also have really cool sun gear company. But we'll start with the boats. So how did how did that start? So first of all, thanks for having me, you guys. You're um, welcome. <laughs> Where did it start? Well, <laughs> um, I worked on boats for about maybe 15 years. Sailboat first, and um, kind of hopped around different boats and. Uh, Fishing has always been something that's in my family. I started fishing when I was really young. And it's pretty awesome to meet someone who works on boats, who also fishes, and um, have like mind you know, together. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that goes in, but. is it, Did you always do boat stuff in Maui, or did you work other places? So I moved to Maui from Arizona. I moved to Maui when I was, I think, 18. Almost, oh my gosh, almost 20 years ago. Um, I came out here to study marine science. I went to UH Maui and then also UH Hilo. Uh, did a lot of diving programs, scientific diving. For eight years, I went into real estate. Um, made good money, but I was wanting to be outside. There's something about being outside that just makes you happy. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, we all know that. <laughs> you can have all the money in the world, but it's just you have, you have to realize what's important. Yeah, left real estate and I went to um, boats, and um, I've loved it ever since. It's nice. it's hard, you know, working on boats is hard, physically hard, but it's something that you have to do with because you love it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've definitely had days this season where I've been like, man. I can maybe do this for another 10 years and then I got to think about something else. <laughs> when, when you moved to Maui, did you, was that your first job was getting a job on a boat? Um, no, moved to Maui, went to, oh, I worked on a coffee shop, uh, yeah, a little coffee shop before. And then I just went to school and um, it's pretty easy getting a job on the boat if you can swim and dive. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that there. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, so um then you got you got your captain's license and everything when you were out there right yeah, yeah. so i got and it's nice because packwell has such big boats um it was pretty awesome to be you know one of the only female ladies in the captain's course and they're getting the highest tonnage available which is 100 ton um you know in class they'd always be like oh my gosh the one woman in the class and you're like I'm getting my 100-ton license. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, people. when I did mine, I really don't even think there was. I actually don't think there was a girl in my class, so that's really cool. Yeah. It, that's a, that class is hard, but. Yeah, it is. Right? <laughs> I couldn't. I guarantee I would. I mean, I'm not allowed to say that, but I mean, I might not remember a lot of the stuff. No, no. <laughs> Think about it. Think about the captains that have been doing it for 45 yeah. years. You think they remember the CFRs and all that, like, no to way. the T? No, no way. Well, and the CFRs have changed since they got their exactly. license. Exactly. <laughs> and that, that's crazy because they don't make you – I'm probably going <laughs> to screw us and make us all retest, but they, they, they don't make you retest. Every, it's, every five years, you know, you do your drug test, you get your um, – your C time in and show them your CPR and first aid certifications. And that's really it to renew your license at five years. But I both were both uh, part 107 drone pilots. Um, and every two years they make us take an aeronautical knowledge yeah. test. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, are you kidding me? I have to take this drone test. And it's, it's actually pretty, there's a lot of like, uh, like where we have the charting and stuff, the aeronautical charts are a lot yeah. 
more um, extensive than the the charts that we look at. Like, you know, I mean, there's buildings, there's high mountains, there's, you know, airspaces. There's like a lot to look at on the aeronautical chart versus the marine chart. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy that we don't have to renew it with a test of some sorts. <laughs> like we don't even have to do the alphabet. Or, <laughs> you know? You, you just did your five-year? I haven't done my. I haven't done that. I just yet. did my five year for the first time. Yeah, I was, like, I, I was because <laughs> I didn't know what I. I mean, like I was like, what do I need? And it's coming up in a month. And like you know, you know, you always do something at the last minute. So, <laughs> so, but it was it was really not hard at all. You really yeah. just you go get your drug paperwork. You yeah. go get you, you make sure you have your CPR and first aid up to date, which you do anyways. Yeah. So then you, you put those in, um, and then you have a C time letter that from wherever you work or the cap, like another captain or owner of a company. And then you send that all in. It's, it's fairly easy, actually. Nice. I, yeah. There's a, it's like, you can literally Google hundred, hundred gross ton renewal. And it's like a checklist uh, on the website. So it's pretty good. I actually helped Doug a little bit with his, I think he was trying to upgrade to a 200 ton, like on his oh, yeah. next renewal. So he was like asking me questions and I was like, Oh, well, I just helped a captain with this. So like, here's where I looked everything up. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Doug. Oh, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of miss him. Yeah. He's funny. Um, so fishing, um, for a long time, it was just like a hobby thing, right? But now it's more like a kind of like a side business for you and your fiance. Yeah. So I have two businesses. So I have Kappa Sun Gear LLC and then I have, um, he won't name the boat. I don't know. It's so weird. It's just H8. Eight five one two. I'm like, you have to name her. <laughs> Wait, you're fishing on a boat without a name? Well, I mean, she has a name, but he like scraped it off, so I feel like weird. <laughs> oh, you, you can't do that without like scratching the name into the hole. You got to do all this stuff. Make sure the <laughs> Call it your last name gotta, or something, Amanda or Padilla. Or... <laughs> so, so she's just H. The business name is H A eight five one two. Um. So yeah, uh, commercial fishing. You got to do reports all the time, every month. If you go fishing and you sell fish, you have to do reports. Well, Lee lost his license because he never did reports. And I got mine. And, um, you know, it's not hard. You go online, fill out the fish you caught, where you caught it. Um, but it's just being diligent in that. A lot of commercial fishermen lose their license because they don't do their reports. Mm. Big fun. Yeah. Um, so we sell to three different restaurants um, on the west side of Maui. And uh, basically, we'll go fishing. We'll call them and say, hey, we got, you know, uku, we have whatever kind of fish. And they'll say, perfect, bring it over. It's nice. It has shut down because of COVID, um, but it's just starting to pick back up again. So it's good. Is How it rod and reel caught? Yep. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I, I know a couple of friends of mine that here that work with, um, like, so uh, one of them is Bear Flag Fish Co., and they go out and basically catch yellowtail, tuna, whatever they can catch. But, like, when they catch it, that's who they sell to is one of their people, right? And it's so cool that it's rod and reel caught. Like, yeah. Like, ugh, that means so much to me. I uh, put that on, like, on my website, on Coppice and my Instagram. And I kind of, like, overplay it, but also I'm proud of that, you know? Yeah, but it's so much better. Yeah, it's not long line stuff. And there yeah. still is a lot of long line in Maui, right? Um, it's usually in Oahu. Uh, but it gets purchased by restaurants that sell it. Yeah, so either way, it's a Hawaiian yeah. island, right? In a hole. So we take pride in, you know, our little boat and our little rod and reel. Yeah. Hard, you know, you feel good about the fish you're giving to people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I work on a uh, sport fishing boat. Every uh, Well, I haven't recently. I, I That's what I first started doing was I grew up on a sport fishing boat and then later fell in love with the whales. But since COVID, I came back and I started working on the sport fishing boat again. Just like nice. once every couple of weeks, I've been running second operator on it. And one of the captains on there, we were like, man, it'd be so cool to have a rod and reel caught pokey place. Because there's so many pokey places in California, but I guarantee none of them are rod and reel caught. Like probably 99% of them aren't. And so I was like, man, it'd be so cool. And he's always like, we should just call it Pokey's Dope. <laughs> like Pokey's Dope. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, but it would be cool if you could just rod and reel catch it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like when we, when we went and caught tuna this summer, 
it's really far to go out to the buoys. It's about 40 miles offshore and you're in deep water and you're yeah. praying God when you get out there, that's decent and nice. And the bite is on, I get it. I mean, you know, but I like, like, um, being able to consume what I catch and stopping at that. And yeah. not, it's bad. The bycatch, we don't have any bycatch. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's what's important with fishing, you know, is, is, is bycatch and like I yeah. well commercial fishing, yeah, but I, like I take that seriously now yeah. just because we had that um sperm whale that was entangled in uh we think it was a we think it was a swordfish, like a long line swordfish kind of net. And it was yeah. this really weird monofilament and it was like it was just essentially like a fishing line, but it was huge. It was thick. And it was really slippery and, you know, we, we couldn't tie it down to the boat or anything. And when we tried to disentangle this thing, um, we couldn't tie a buoy to it. It was just so brittle and slippery. And, um, you know, ever since that kind of encounter that, you yeah. know, I, I helped out with, I've really made sure that, like, I don't, I, I honestly don't eat fish unless it's, unless it's sustainably caught or I catch it myself. So stuff like that's really important especially you know us whale whale geeks you know when you see a whale get caught up in fishing gear it's really yeah. disheartening and um right. it, that's that's awesome I, I think rod and reel is the way to do it and if you can get more people to do it i mean that's the way to go right it's just kind of incentivizing a more modern way of fishing yeah totally i mean slater knows like when we i think we went out to a seafood restaurant in maui and like I asked the person that was like the manager and was like, for the hey, one fish you ate, yeah. For the yeah. one fish you wanted to eat, yeah. I was like, where did this come from? Because I didn't eat fish on the island the whole time except that one restaurant. And she couldn't yeah. tell me where the fish came from. That was, one fish though, right? It was just yeah. the, it was just the Wahoo. Well, what yeah. is what's it called? Wahoo? Oh no, yeah. Oh no, yeah. So just that one fish you didn't know. It's so, pretty yeah. we go fishing and um drop off the fish at the restaurants i feel like really cool because <laughs> yeah, you are really You're like cool. you guys are well you guys are all eating what we caught for so, you you know what i mean it's so funny you feel really cool <laughs> you're like walking in with this mondo fish you're like look at what <laughs> so when you bring a are you bringing it whole or do you fillet it first or are you just giving them the meat or do they you let the restaurants fillet it so they get the most out of it Restaurants fillet, which yeah. is nice. After fishing all night, you last thing you want to do is cut fish. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, are you are you selling like the higher end restaurants? Because obviously, you know, with a more sustainable caught fish, you know, it's going to be a higher price to pay on the plate. So, is there like certain restaurants you will sell to or won't sell to? Or no, we just kind of keep it small. And um, I think it's we sell the Honokawai Fish Market, Nuka. Um, Miso fat sushi. I think one more. Frida's, which is like small places that are owned on Maui, um, family gotcha. owned. It's you know it's important little steps you take. It's important. Yeah, it it really is, and especially if it's you know family owned place, you can mm -hmm. kind of build that relationship and support local people as well. Yeah. I think that's really important as well. Yeah, I love it. So. Um, Let's see. Do you want to talk a little bit about like whales and then shift gears into um, the Sun Gear Company? Oh, okay, cool. Um, so you worked for uh, Pacific Whale Foundation. Did you work for any other whale watch companies or anything on the island before Pack Whale? I worked for Ali'i Nui, um, which is owned by Maui Dive Shop. And then um, I also worked for I still do kind of pick up ships here and there when they need it. Um, a crew on a, two fishing boats. Um, I think it goes really well when there's a, a male captain on a fishing boat and a female crew, uh, especially if there's like families or, you know, you don't want to go on a fishing boat and there's a couple dudes and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> For like so, charter fishing. Yeah. Charter fishing. But um, it's cool. The company Maui Fun Charters, um, they go for ta'ape, which are an invasive species. Good to eat, but they actually target that species because, you know, they feed it to tourists, but it's still, it's a good fish. They're invasive, so they're doing, like, a good thing. Yeah. It's not just counting the reefs. Yeah. Sweet. Hey, yeah. So, um, 
I mean, you worked Maui like whale season a lot. So yeah. you might have some more fun stories than the ones we brought home from this winter. I mean, this winter was good too, but you know, if you want to share any fun whale times, you can. Craziest whale memory from Maui. <laughs> Go. <laughs> now. <laughs> oh my goodness. We, we're out at the mooring field um, at like five in the morning, you know, getting the boat ready. And yeah. the captain, I'm getting the coffee ready, like, blah, blah, blah. And, um, the night before, I went out to the mooring field and I put some reflective tape on the ball so we could see it. We had a lot of new crew and they couldn't see the ball and you're like, no, nothing yeah. hit the ball. And... Yeah. Uh, the next morning, around the boat, the captain, we released the boat driving into the harbor and he throws the boat into um, neutral. And you know, like you kind of like fly a little bit when the captain does that. And he's like, whale, one o'clock. <laughs> And we're like, <laughs> so I go upstairs. I'm like, Paul, that's not a whale. That's like the mooring ball. Um, I put reflective tape on it. He's like, no, keep looking. <laughs> this captain. And I keep looking. That I th I thought it was the mooring ball with a reflective tape. Yeah. It was eyeball. No. Oh wow. Off the spotlight. Easy. It was insane. I was like, that's not. You don't know. He's like, oh, and then so the, I don't know if it was a male or female, but they were up with one eye tilted, and then the other whale kind of came up gradually, and it was unreal. Wow, <laughs> that's so yeah. cool. Scary, I always a scary guessing game: mooring ball or eyeball. How <laughs> <laughs> many always... stories? My whale stories. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the most like memorable nights, like going, it was actually going to the mooring field. Uh, we had just done the Molokai Keiki Whale Watch on Guardian because uh, the normal boat was down. <clears throat> and um, I was like, I want tonight. It was like beautiful sunset. It was flat calm when we got home. And I was like, I'm taking myself on a whale watch <laughs> in the skiff. <laughs> so from the from Ma'alai Harbor to Sugar Beach out to Guardian, there was like 42 pairs of moms and calves in that two and a half mile stretch, just within a hundred yards of my track line. Wow. I was like, oh my God, there's like a hundred whales right here. Cause like you could see even more, like Voyager was out on right. like a Marty or something. And like, they were like tripping over whales everywhere they went. It was like, it was so crazy. That's so crazy. Yeah. I wonder if that, have you been at him? Never been to Maui. No, I want to go this year, but um, you never know with COVID. Wah, wah. But, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But that's, so. that's that's pretty crazy. When you think about like that stock of humpbacks, it's just so yeah, right. huge. Like, yeah, there's a lot of whales. Here in California. Yeah. And like, yeah, like we see a lot of whales in Santa Barbara and, and Monterey sometimes, but I just can't imagine 42 pairs of moms yeah. and calves. Like yeah. I, we would never see that here. Yeah, it was like trying to tip through, tiptoe through like a nursery. It was crazy. That's awesome. I also don't know how Gabe got through them all in the big boat. <laughs> go slow. Yeah, go way slow. <laughs> so. That's just like cheating, though. Like, <laughs> you know, when you just got that many whales right there. I know. Well, and sometimes, like, this one mom, especially for like two weeks straight, she laid in front of the channel. Like, so we couldn't even get the vessel traffic in and out of Motley Harbor sometimes. Oh, my gosh. I was like, you are literally putting your baby in the middle of an intersection. Like, what are you doing? She wanted to, she wanted it to meet people. <laughs> well, the intersection hey, wasn't, wasn't an intersection until we came along, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair. Fair point. <laughs> so. Uh. That was one of the craziest ones was like, it wasn't on an actual trip. Oh, but the other one that was really nuts was we had, um, I was well watching on Odyssey and we were coming in from a trip and like, there was this huge competitive group starting to break out right in front of the Harbor. And, um, some other boat was there. It was a different company. I forget who it was. They were there and they were like, Hey, uh, I think we have like an abandoned calf. Like these whales are all freaking out and there's a baby like not with a mom. And um 
So someone called Protector from the research department and they went out because they were like, well, it's right there. Just go figure out what's going on. So then we come out on the next whale watch and <clears throat> it was this huge competitive group, probably like, I don't know, 10 consistent whales chasing around a mom calf and like what we think now after watching it for like an hour it was like a a yearling that so that mom had both babies with her but like they were like it was like killer whales watching them try and beat up a gray whale calf like they like Uh launched the little baby whales in the air like these males were like charging after the female so hard they like punched the calf in the air or the yearling in the Uh air i was like whoa what is going on Wow, that's insane. Yeah, what's that called when? Because I know Gary, Gary in the and you know Pacific Northwest, Gary J twenty seven. Yeah, him and I know I don't know who else. I forget who else has seen it. Uh, I think Jeff and them saw it too, but I forget the whale who did it. But they killed a calf. The male killed a calf. Mm. There's a a male and a mom. Yeah, patricide. Yeah. Yeah. There's a male and a mom. Yeah, I mean. I had just never seen humpbacks, like, actually get another humpback whale airborne. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, yeah that takes, must take a lot of strength. Yeah, like, but, I mean, also in competitive groups, like, it's usually adults versus adults. So yeah, they land on each other more than lifting each other up. Yeah, but, like, there was a couple times where, like, it was just like when you see killer whales, like, do two hits in a row, and then, like, the gray whale calf goes airborne. Like, it was like that, but with the humpback calf. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> wow that's crazy you yeah. know a big male humpback could easily kill a calf like yeah so. well think about think about like probably every easier other, than killer whales could think about like every other animal on the planet like when you're a male and you're trying to mate with the female like like lions kill the babies like you know a whole bunch of different species kill the babies and it's interesting that whales for i mean for what for the most know. part they don't yeah yeah so. She's so disrespectful because that still the <laughs> person you're trying to mate with just created a baby and they went through all that, you know, those months yeah. of doing that. It is, man. <laughs> well, at least in the cetacean world, like, it's such a tax on resources physically to have a calf. Like, if you're a porpoise, dolphin, whale, beaked whale, whatever, that I feel like it would not lead to further survival of your species to force yeah, the female yeah you can't force the female to go into estrus again right away because she's underweight and she's undernourished and so like the next fetus wouldn't survive anyway but like sea otters and seals and sea lions like they document patricide and then like immediate mating in all of those but that like but they're, they're feeding year round right yeah and their migrations are not nearly as big as like whales and dolphins and porpoises. I wonder if it also has to do with like, like seasons you know like there's a mating season and a breeding season and I feel like maybe other species can kind of mate throughout the year you know there's not yeah really I mean pinnipeds have a season pinnipeds do have a season yeah, yeah you're right but otters I mean you see like peaks in certain times of year but they have pups all year so you know what I want to know why is why do whales why do mysticetes have like mating seasons and feeding seasons but like odontocetes seem to not like we see common dolphin babies year-round well common dolphins well, just mate all the time but so yeah. are, are like are, are killer whales too like you can see you can see killer whales being born like whenever just like when i don't know it's kind of interesting i never thought about that yeah um i mean i have some theories but like a lot of the species are not well enough studied to know um yeah. but i think like you see calves uh immediately after whatever gestation period at the peak of summer feeding or at the peak of the feeding season is my theory so like yeah that makes sense for if a gestation for a dolphin is nine months and like peak summer feeding for common dolphins is august and september then you're going to see the most calves throughout the year nine months after that after that that's my that's yeah that's my theory i guess like with the southern residents like they kind of have babies being born. Like they had two new calves within like a week or two of each other. So I guess maybe that's. So then also with like Southern residents, they, um, they get in these big social. Like when all three of the resident pods come together, I also suspect that's when peak mating is happening. So then that's how you end up with a whole bunch of females giving birth at the same time. Cause they all got pregnant 
probably at the same social event. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that's, the normal. Occurrence. That's crazy because when you look at like the Southern residents, like typically everybody says like they always have like a a super par a super pod like they see one the first one and like I think it's May or like or March you know and but since they don't see that as much anymore I wonder if that has an effect on how many babies are produced or oh, for sure it's because they're focused on feet trying to find food more yeah. than they used to I know to, so yeah. I know but, but they used to they used delayed. to always have you know multiple multiple super pods a year yeah but now they see I think when I was there last in 2019, we didn't see one. Yeah. So, and I think this year they actually did have a good super pod and actual, an actual super pod where all three pods were together, but yeah. That's so interesting to think about. Yeah, exactly. And so it has this big chain reaction, right? If you're not optimally foraging, if you're not having those big social gatherings, like you're going to have less pregnancies. And so then that does have long-term effects across your population. Yeah. So. And who knows, like just cause we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. That's also true. I mean, they it's a they have the whole ocean to roam around in, and we're not always right there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, yeah, so you guys, you guys being you're in uh, Massachusetts, like I've never seen um, a different like season. It's like you guys have like they're feeding up there, right? Yeah. So we're um, Slater and Adam and I have all worked in California, which is also like the Mexican humpbacks um, feeding ground for the summer, but in Mass. Yeah, in Massachusetts, they're, um, I feel like they're a little bit more strict on this season, or at least the companies are because of the weather. So like in California, you can kind of get humpbacks like overwintering, like on a fairly regular basis the last five or six years, um, and just feeding all winter. But like here, like, we got snow on the boat today. So like, (laughs) we don't know really what happens when we stop operating in November. But um, yeah, they're here to feed. We saw a lot of mom calf pairs, um, which I think is fairly good. normal, I guess, for this area. But we have like 25 mom calf pairs this season. So when they're in the grounds, do they kind of like, like you've seen their behavior out on the way? Yeah. And they kind of themselves. Um, how is it over there when they're feeding? Do they like kind of work together? If there's a lot of food, yeah, they'll come together and, like, work together. And, like, our whales out here do bubble netting. Not quite like the Alaska whales, but, like, they will use big bubble um, rings or clouds. And they also do, like, this kick feeding thing where they, like, slap the water with their tail a couple times. And then they might even blow bubbles underneath it and then come up in it. Um, But oftentimes, like, if the food is spread out or if it's not at the surface, then you'll see, like, one whale here, one whale there maybe a pair together. So they can be kind of just like off on their own, doing their own thing. Um, but sometimes, yeah, you'll see them get going together. Okay. Actually, some of the best surface feeding I've seen is in California so far. This year, we didn't have a lot of it out here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So, But we had, oh my God, guess what came up on my Facebook memories from five years ago, Slater? Five? Five. Have we been friends that long? I don't <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a, I had a feeding group of humpback whales in front of Moss Landing, mm. 32 whales in one group. What? Yeah. Oh my I have a video of them. Cry. Yeah. I like held up, I have a cell phone video of them. Um, they're all swimming in a line after they all came up with the sea lions. They had like probably 600 sea lions with them and they all fluked, like just swimming right next to the boat. And so you there were because they all fluked right one after another 32 whales was that can 15? i stalk you on facebook Where can I- <laughs> Caitlin, was that 15 or 14 uh 15 okay what? adam margo and i went up there in 15 because we had just like started getting together you know we went yeah. up there and that was when um shoot i think i went up there for some all-day trips but we went up there in september yeah we literally had so many whales by the boat it was Actually, un- I've never seen. He it lost since. his mind. That was why I was like, I have to move to Monterey. Like, it's just it's a no-brainer. <laughs> like, like there was I can't well, even I wonder- explain to you the feeling or like the sight that I saw that day. There was so yeah. all the way I until remember- sunset, and then it was. I mean, I had a group of eleven at one time lunch feeding. Eleven whales oh at gosh, one time lunch feeding. Dude, yeah. we don't see that anymore. Like, even in Monterey, like 
Well, I, I mean, we now do. there's days that happen. Eleven whales. I yeah, guess. Like, I mean, well, I've had some days like that for sure. Those huge, huge, huge groups was like really only that year, maybe the year after. I but can it was, show you. It was something that was just like, like the-, the seasoned captains were like, "Are we in Alaska? Like, what just happened?" Well, there were some days that. When Chris Eubank was around, Caitlin, yeah, the first year, 2017, yeah, that the whales were right in front of Monterey, literally a mile and a half out. That we had like groups of like seven, you know, yeah. or more lunch feeding together. Yeah, I haven't seen it like that year, you know, 2015, but there for sure has been some years where oh I mean, yeah, there's, there's been some really days, not years, sorry. There's been some days where we've had big groups of whales. Yeah, together. I sh- I just remember you guys like always talking about like. Dude, you should have seen it in like 2016, 2015. <laughs> it, you know? And like, I wasn't like, I was into whales then, obviously. But you were just a little Adam. Dude, well, 2016, I was freaking 18 years old. I was going to say a teenager. Well, you know what? <laughs> and, and I don't want to say this because it's kind of not true. But to be honest, I moved there in like 2016 or 16-ish, 17. And 17 was like my best year there. 18 was good. Then 19 was all right. And like this year... I wasn't there, but they said it wasn't their best year for sure. Obviously, it was COVID That's anyways, so they weren't out there. But it it wasn't their best year. But you got to think like there's still like a hundred whales in that bay at oh, any no, given course. time. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to knock I'm not trying to knock Monterey, but it's just interesting to see this trend. Just you guys talk about it, just the amount of whales and killer whales and whatever, and you'd see some crazy stuff. And it seems like it's just going downhill. I just wonder if well, there's a correlation there. I don't know. I mean, I think there's been like there's been winners and losers in that thing though because like it has to do with the the food shifting and everything too and like some of it you're even seeing ripple effects across like the breeding grounds. Like there was no blue whales in 2014. Like I saw one the whole summer. But we had loads of humpbacks. 2015 too. That was the year they did Big Blue Live and I like they called and I happened to pick up the phone in the office and they're like, we want to put a blue whale live on TV. And I laughed. I laughed <laughs> at the person from BBC on the phone in the office. I was like, uh, we saw one all season last year. Dude, um, that's it's, I think the blue whale, John Kalambakita has always said like the blue whale feeding grounds always seem to be temporary. Like the one in Santa Barbara, like last year in 2019, we saw again, same thing. We saw one blue whale. And this year was like a record year. Like it was like the best year we've had in a decade. Yeah. Like we've had way we had whales from June fifth all the way to like now. Like I saw a blue whale today. Like yeah. they're still here. Which so is crazy. Yeah. well, it's it's funny you say that. It's crazy because the video that I got uh, that's that's technically going to be in a documentary. Hopefully, that video with the the blue whale with the Pacific white side dolphin. Right side, yeah. Yeah, that blue that was shot in October, late October in Monterey. Yeah. But there wasn't one blue whale. There was like fifty blue whales I in remember Monterey last, Bay. Was that last year? Yeah, and we I've seen them in two years. We've, we've two years ago. We've seen them in December. I've seen them in January. Like it's, it's like just, as much as we say they're you know only during the summer right. months, it, it's totally changing. Right. Like they they yeah. have to eat so much that I think that as much as they have this like you know we're here feeding then we're gonna leave they gotta feed so if they haven't fed yeah. enough. They're probably well, not going to leave. That's interesting yeah. you say that because the whale we saw today, we've, we've seen him for the past probably week or so on and off. You know, there's been a few days where we haven't seen him, but he's pretty skinny. And like, I assume he's been here the whole summer feeding like the rest of them. Like we literally had 50 whales feeding at one point, you know, and, and I just wonder if that guy just, you know, was late to the party or he was feeding somewhere else. And now he's trying to scoop up the leftovers or what, but he looks pretty skinny, which is yeah. interesting. You think all the whales now would be fat and ready to head down to Mexico? Yeah. Well, and so I was going to circle it back to Maui too, because like this last whale season, I mean, you could speak more probably from like your own anecdotal experience, Amanda, but like it seemed like all the whales were late, but they all showed up. Like it was a big year compared to the previous four or five years for sightings. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like, it even affects the breeding grounds too. Cause I remember when we were having crazy whale numbers in Monterey, in Mexico, they were like, where the hell are all of our whales? <laughs> and I was like, we have them. Chilling sorry. 
it's just so interesting to see the changes from year to year. Like that's something that I've been trying to, cause like we have logs in the boat that go back like 20 years. And that's something I've been, I've been working on just compiling all that data and, and yeah. analyzing it and comparing it from year to year. And it's just really interesting to see the changes of when whales show up, when they leave, how good the numbers are in a certain years. And it's just, it's really cool to see the differences and who knows what's causing those differences, but just looking at it, it's just really interesting. And it's weird because these, it kind of almost means that they're getting a shorter breeding ground, right? I mean, feeding ground. Like for the gray whales, if they're, well, if they're, I guess, is it shorter or is it longer? They, if they're leaving later, they're, yeah. you know, yeah, and it's longer, but it depends on how long they stayed in Mexico. Too. Well, that's, yeah. that's interesting too, because like the gray whale, like luckily the gray whales are all, seem to be the only ones on at least this part of the West on this part of the Pacific ocean that have the, that have had, have, have had a UME or unusual mortality event. You know, luckily mm-hmm. our humpback population seems to be stabling out or blue whale population seems to be stabling out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully that doesn't change, you know, but you could say the same thing with fish too. I mean, like look at the way the tunas um, yeah. migrations have changed timing wise, numbers wise, size wise. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's all related. And you really just look at how we're treating the oceans and stuff. But um, A couple years ago, everyone was, like, thinking that the whales were moving further offshore. I don't know if that's due to, like, boat traffic or the noise or whatever. Have you guys um, seen that over there by any chance? Like, collectively, like, thinking, like, oh, my gosh, we're going further and further out to sea. Yeah, um... Well, in Monterey, like, the, the underwater feature is a big canyon near shore, and so that, like, kind of, like, sucks everything in, typically. Um, but, yeah, there are years way in the past where, like, they're like, oh, we normally used to watch whales, like, way offshore, and now they're closer inshore. But also in um, Mexico, they were thinking some of it had to do with the temperature. So, like, they're like, dude, the whales just seem hot. Like the females are staying way down low, like below the thermocline, trying to stay mm. in the cold water. Stay cool, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, we do. I don't know. Here in Santa Barbara, it's like you either we we run four and a half hour whale watches. Like sometimes we do the eight hours, right? But for the most part, we're not really going past the islands, you know. So we don't know what's necessarily back there and a lot of the, like we're the only company here and a lot of the fishermen either a don't know what they're looking at or b don't report it so i mean obviously there's no reason for them to but so we only have the sample size or the experience with like whales that are less than whatever 26 miles from the coast yeah so also here they're feeding so i really don't think the whales care about what's near them or around them as long as there's food like yeah. if they're focused on food and they're following a big school of sardines or anchovies, depending on where they're at in the, you know, it's like, they're going to follow that food. If it's in towards the beach, they go all the way in on the beach. So whereas yeah. in Maui, they kind of like, there's no food. So the only yeah. thing they're doing is either breeding yeah. or calving. And so if they can avoid whatever they're yeah. trying to avoid and moving offshore, it just might be because of that. And obviously temperatures. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like it seems like in Santa Barbara this year we had a whole ton of krill, and in like the peaks of our months where we normally have a ton of anchovies, we didn't really have any. And mm. who knows? Who not really knows where that was? It was probably up north. We uh, just an hour north of us, Avila Beach had tons and tons of humpbacks the entire summer. So maybe the food source was just up there, and you know our normal humpbacks that we see here were just not here this summer but luckily they're back we had uh seven of them today so that was that was good to see today was actually so weird we had um like right at the gate when i well when i woke up this morning i I always checked like the fog map and it was like clear skies beautiful day i was so i was so hyped and then when we left the dock i was like where the heck did this fog come come (laughs) and when you look at well when you look at like noah's like fog uh chart map it literally looked like a little mini hurricane. Like it was just like this huge fog map. And as we were going out there, it kept following us and following us. And like, we were literally stuck in the fog the entire time until the islands. And then we, when we finally got to the islands. We got like a little bit of a break. Then we found the blue whale. Then we got even more of a break and we eventually found humpbacks, but just so frustrating. We were like, get, get out of this fog. It's chasing us. Was it calm though? It was calm probably, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
was pretty calm. Uh, yeah, was, when the fog's calm. there, it keeps the wind down, so it usually is pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Until the end of it, when it starts clearing it, then it starts to get breezy. Does it ever get foggy in Maui? Um, we were on the water, I think, two days ago, and there was a big storm, and I'm like, I was like, why are we going out? But it was, um, we caught at the right time, and it was fog everywhere except where we were. Oh, really? Beautiful being on the water um, in the moonlight, and, like, there was a storm to the right of us, storm to the left of us, heavy clouds, and we're, like, right in the middle of it. It was just pretty special. So yeah. nice. <laughs> I don't think I've, I mean, I've seen fog up on the, like, up on the mountain, but I've never seen fog on the ocean there. times. That'd be crazy to have that all the time. <laughs> yeah, it is. We listen for whales when it's foggy. Oh. <laughs> yeah yeah and then like if there's if you're on a small boat you have to like shush the passengers because you're like no i'm really trying to listen for the whale <laughs> <laughs> it's funny fog is a pain in the butt sometimes man yeah um so let's switch gears a little bit i want to hear more about uh kappa sun gear because that's your new baby basically um and I love your stuff, as you know, because I ordered a lot of it. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Um, yeah, so Kappa Sun Gear, uh, we kind of, I think December of last year, I kind of started thinking about everything. And um, it's nice in my office, I have like a little time frame to kind of keep track of where you started, where you're going. Um, the biggest thing was having a business plan and kind of knowing, setting that out. From the, from the get-go, knowing where you are and where you want to go. Um, my One of my friends here on Maui, she has a swimsuit company. I fished with her, um, and they make swimsuits out of recycled marine plastic. Um, it's pretty awesome. This company in Italy goes and collects all this marine debris, um, fishing lines, discarded nets, you name it. And they kind of, they wash it and blend it, create a fiber and then weave it to create um, somewhere. Um, so I think our product is about 82% recycled marine plastic and the rest is spandex. So it has that stretch. Uh, it's pretty awesome. It's um, So we'd always go out in the water. Whenever you're fishing, we always cover up. You know, wear leggings, wear long sleeve hooded, have hats on. If you don't, you'll look like, you know, Leatherman in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You Lobster. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> that have just started working on the boat and they're like, you know, not wearing much. And you're like, it's not sustainable. You can't work on the water and not cover up. Yeah. So I started looking at ways where I could make swimwear uh, that's going to be more towards boat crew and um, in a way of like nice wetsuits, um, long sleeve hooded rash guards, uh, leggings with pockets, um, board shorts, and I wanted to do three designs to start off with, so we're doing it with kapha. So kapha is actually a plant, it's a balke, it's a plant, and um, you kind of beat it into where it's a, like a fiber, and um, it's very sacred. And I thought it was really neat because we're taking something out of the ocean, and it's a labor of love that we're making it into sun gear, protecting your skin, protecting your body, um, as well as not using so much sunscreen. Um, so yeah, um, let's see, where else can I go? <laughs> so you're also doing like the eco masks and stuff and the face shields, um, as part that, of like, yeah, that was when we first launched. It was pretty awesome to launch like right when, I mean, COVID happened because everyone needed masks and I had, yeah, right. And, um, our masks are UPF 40. So they're not, I didn't get them purposely for COVID. These are masks we wear on the boat all the time. Um, I don't want to get skin cancer. So it's just a nice little cover-up, you know. And yeah. to make eco masks made here at my house. We do them with bamboo, uh, bamboo and organic cotton. And um, it's nice to have a couple, you know, you have designs and you have plain ones. And we also use seeded paper for our um, business cards. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do a business awesome. card. Yeah, that... Um, wasn't going to be like a negative impact just a piece of paper so it's pretty neat these you can plant these and they'll grow wildflowers or vegetables and they're non-gmo and it's pretty neat i have a tomato That's down so there cool. 
so excited. <laughs> I know someone that had those in the past. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it was Dale Frank. You guys know who he is. <laughs> yeah. Really? Dale. Yeah. Dale Frank. Um, that, that's, that's so cool. I, I love that companies are, it seems like everybody's obviously more conscious of that and sustainability and stuff. And, you know, I think there's a difference between like having um, a company that starts out that way. Like you're obviously starting out that way and you have that in mind, but it's also cool to see like bigger companies kind of convert to sustainable um, just products or whatever. Like we, like here in Santa Barbara, you're not allowed to sell plastic straws, you know? So everything's paper straws here for the most part. But I mean, like, again, it's a straw and like it's a paper straw. So it's not really like, or the straws yeah. are one aspect of the ocean's debris, but it's, it's, it's awesome to see a, a world that's transitioning to a more conscious and sustainable mindset. Yeah. With Papa, I really wanted to like not, but raise the bar as opposed to being, you know, you want every aspect to try to be sustainable. Not yeah. just, we do one thing and that's it. Yeah. So with Sun Gear line, we're also working with Koholabe, which is an island that's really sacred. Um, and we're buying one and then you plant one. So we're actually going over in December. Oh, so exciting. So um, we're going to go plant, plant around 800 to 1,000 plants. And it's neat because um, it's not just going out there and planting. It's very educational. So they use that island, Celestial Navigation. Um, they named, I think, 400 different winds. It, it's, a, it's a pretty magical place to go. So I'm so excited. So buy one, plant one. And... Um, that launched, I think, three about three months ago. Right on. Yeah. That is awesome. I'm all for that. I'm gonna I know where my next paycheck is going. I'm gonna get some <laughs> trash guards. So you have some cool like collabs going on right now too, right? Like you have a water lust thing going on and a toadfish thing too, right? Everything. I mean, when I kind of think about stuff like sun gear, it's like stuff that I use on my boat, um, that are awesome. Like toadfish, it's they're an amazing company. But like those companies won't sell to other companies if they don't agree with their standards. Yeah. So um, Waterless was like, oh my gosh, yes, you can sell our stuff. Obviously, let's partner. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have beautiful stuff. Beautiful yeah, they stuff. do. And ten percent goes to research, and they make theirs out of recycled plastic water bottles. Ours is recycled marine plastic. Same thing. Um, and then with toadfish, it's neat because every cup you buy they plant oysters um to clean the water just pretty neat. oh awesome and then we also have sunscreen cool. that we that we sell so sunscreen is all reef safe and made locally which is nice kind of putting everything so together cool. you know what i mean yeah and the sunscreen comes in like sustainable packaging too right it's not in yep it's yeah hard. yeah it's like wax wax line cardboard instead of plastic yep it's so nice that's awesome I love that um, that oyster idea to clean the water. I think bioremediation is something that a lot of people should really look into and mm -hmm. countries should look into just using nature to kind of restore the land or just, you know, restore the air, whatever it may be. But that's that's really cool. Yeah, they're doing um, in Ma'alai Harvard, they're doing the oyster project there. Yeah, dude, someone like stole those. <gasps> like, no! Like, why would you go down there and go and eat those? Yeah, you can't eat those. Those are, like, probably really toxic. There's a yeah. Oh, that's bad. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Wasn't me. Oh, my crazy? God. That's nuts, dude. People are crazy. Ugh. But, I mean, also, like, maybe they were that desperate for something <laughs> to eat. That's so sad. I know. Yeah, I they, know. like, ugh. <laughs> I was excited to see how the harbor actually looked when you could see it yeah. and it wasn't like muddy and gross all the time because the oysters <laughs> were going to be cleaning it and now the oysters are gone. Oh, what um, a bummer. It's pretty neat. So at the beginning of COVID, we um, donated masks to the DLNR. Yeah. They were doing, they're doing a project in Molokini just to see um, different fish, what shows up, what doesn't show up. Yes. Yeah. Um, without tourists yeah and they're with tourists and hopefully I was really excited because hopefully that will help minimize so many people you have to have limits on the stuff it's it's not yeah. okay when you just come and you're like no there has yeah. to be some baseline to where 
you know, so many boats are allowed and that's it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. And the same thing with the project on Oahu, um, at Hanauma Bay. Mm-hmm. They're doing another project over there too, looking at how the reef's recovering now that there's no tourists like Ooh. coming from the beach. Yeah. <clears throat> It'll be interesting to see what they find, but like I remember because I was there for like the first month. Yeah. There was more and more um, aluas and like knife mm. jaws and chubs. Like there was a lot more big fish on the reef. Um, like as the weeks went by when there was less and less people like even just on like on turtle town on the south yeah. shore and Dude, lots of science turtles. is so cool <laughs> science is so freaking rad science rules <laughs> science rules cool, um, opportunity for them to look at all this when everything shut down to like yeah and you didn't have to like put a bunch of people like out of business because yeah. you wanted to do your study you didn't have to like it was just like you seized an opportunity, right? Like, I mean, a lot of people, unfortunately, are put out of business, but it's not for the sake of the science. It's something else happened, so they're taking advantage of the study period. So I think it's cool. Unfortunately, I think we're going to learn that we're having a big impact on the reefs, and yeah. <laughs> people are not going to be happy about that because they want to go out and make their money. Yeah, I, I I really hope when Maui resets that they can control tourism because it's it's not fair, you know what I mean, to our to yeah. our reefs, to our fishes, to our oceans out here. It's not like a vacation playground. It's actually people's homes. That's our refrigerators. Yeah, and that's what we take. You know. Yeah, and it's just like a further testament to like the already like long history of like exploitation of the Hawaiian Islands, right? Like, yeah, this is another moment of reckoning where. Yeah. Like, we've already messed this up so much. Can we, like, learn a few things and, like, do better? And that's why I think rod and reel fish is so cool because it yeah. makes it more of a delicacy. And that was, like, the first – I forget what it was, but – I forget what I, where I learned or read about this stuff, but it's how sushi used to be a delicacy. Mm-hmm. But now you could literally – you don't know what you're getting, but it's you can get sushi yeah. at a liquor store. Like you We know, were talking about like, that the other day, Slater. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. just like – that's the kind of thing that sucks. And so yeah. if, and it sucks because you don't, you, you really want to share the ocean with people and teach them about it and take them on these tours and take them diving and whale watching and fishing. And then it's like, but at what extent, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. do you need to charge more just to make it more of a delicacy still? Uh. But you can't charge too much because then you can't have people, Why? people be able to come. Life yeah, because so it's hard, like man. now. Why do we love whales, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like that's a huge thing in the Pacific Northwest, right? Is everybody yeah. like oh yeah, and and trying to take down the whale watch companies? But it's like, listen, like we're the only ones keeping an eye on these whales on a daily basis. We're the ones, yeah. you know, reporting their health. We're the ones that spend the most yeah. time with them and educating the public about them and taking people yeah. out to see them and putting some sort of yeah. maybe some monetary value on these whales. But it's just like at the end of the day, like. We're still out there on these diesel boats, you know, polluting their environment and make, making noise. And yeah, it's like, where's the ba- I think there needs to be some sort of balance. But at the same time, it's just like we love these animals and we want to do what's best for them. Well, I, you have to. I, it's such a struggle. <laughs> I think the polluting the ocean, like as far as diesel boats and gas engines and all that stuff, that that will change over time for sure. Like we're seeing it with cars now. It's it, it's for sure gonna change over time. Can you imagine a tanker, uh, freaking three hundred million thousand billion ton tanker, running <laughs> off of a, running off an electric engine? Like, well, but could it also run off a more efficient engine that's not using like basically be crude things. crude oil and you know really old machinery yeah, and no a, exhaust vision. rules? <laughs> well. Vision. Plant on it. Oh God! But yeah. I, you know, I think that it could still be improved because they run on like bunker fuel, which is basically like you could feed this thing whatever as long as it looks like oil and it will combust it and make the engine go. It's crazy. They'll figure it out, dude. There's so many smart people in this world. Like, it's coming. It's just, do they want to do it now, or they're being lazy, or or when, whatnot? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Electric sounds so cool. But, like, how many years away is that, you know? Yeah. For, for where it can be affordable and, like, act- people can actually 
Make implement that a, it. Yeah. I don't have to have like being electric, I don't know, solar or something like that. It'd have to. Something that could just keep it out there longer than eight hours, right? Like you're, you're driving 40 miles well, not out. Even, dude. You could do a freaking four hour whale watch. No, but she's commercially fishing and she's going 40 miles. She's not doing 100 miles per hour. So she's going to be going, <laughs> you know, if she's doing 25 miles an hour, like, you know what I mean? 40 miles how is long, quite a bit. How long away. are your normal fishing days, Amanda? Um, how about 18 hours? Oof. Yeah. yeah. You want her to die out there? You want her to <laughs> die? No, I'm talking about whale watcher. I'm, I'm a whale watcher. I'm a whale watcher, dude. I'm talking about my four and a half hour whale tour, all right? Well, and <laughs> then, right. like, to circle back to the delicacy aspect of it and, like, trying to set a price point, right? Like, you also have to walk the line of, like, becoming exclusive because of the price point and then you're like denying the opportunity for people to come out and be in nature just on a financial basis right yeah like exactly. and like oftentimes i feel like the people that can't afford it are the people that actually need to be on the trip the most 100 percent. i've said that for like a long time it's like so then that important. becomes a whole nother piece of the yeah. puzzle Oh, why is everything so complicated? Why can't the world just be nice? Science, Adam. Because we all have a conscience. <laughs> that's why it's complicated. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's true. Because half of uh, us care too much. How long have you worked on fishing boats for? A long time? Slater? Me? Yeah. Slater. Um, so when I was 13, I started. my next-door neighbor started picking me up and taking me onto the fishing boat every weekend until summer. Then I went literally every day. Um, and then when I was 15 and a half, my school signed off and my mom and my, my parents signed off for me to start working like getting on payroll at the company. That's and awesome. so, so basically I worked there until for, I think it was 10, almost, well, it was like eight years and then I moved to the whale watch boat. But yeah, so I was on the, the fishing boat for eight years, almost full time. And then I moved over to whale watching. Yeah. I, I fished Came to the light side. <laughs> I fished a lot. Then I went to whale watching and all like the whale tours, but going back to fishing, um, it is unreal the science behind fishermen. Yeah. Like that's like sometimes so many, you know, now biologists and just out. Oh, fishermen don't know. But I'm like, no, they do know. They do. <laughs> like it's crazy. It's yeah. insane. Um, just to be able to like predict stuff and see the movements and patterns and where fish. Oh are. yeah, they know more than anybody, but. Do they want to admit some of it? Probably not, because then it would shut down their industry or yeah. shut down what they're doing, or it would shed more light on what they're doing. So, and, and not that it's all bad, because it's not. Oh, they gotta make a, they gotta is, make a living, and yeah. and that's the biggest thing with commercial fishing. A lot of people have owned these commercial. Like I know people in Newport that have. It literally, he bought, he got them from his dad. His dad's been commercial fishing for who knows how long, right? And then he passed away. Then he got them, and it's like, so you're gonna just cut this guy's only thing he knows is his whole family's mm -hmm. built off of this so it's it's very tough to just you know the transition is very tough right now i think especially with not commercial rod and reel but like commercial fishing as like you know Drift. like the bait fisheries or, like uh, anchovy sardines yeah. or yeah, and then, well and then all the saner type style mm -hmm. fishing for squid That's anchovy great. sardines and then the bigger saners that are coming up from like mexico that are wrapping up all the tuna I mean, like, yeah. I'm literally out there, and we're seeing miles and miles, and I'm not even exaggerating, like, 10 miles of bluefin tuna, and then you see 10 saners that are literally all making sets on tuna at the same time, and they're wrapping thousands and thousands of fish, and it's, it's like, boom, gone, see ya, all of them. It's, you know? it's such a struggle, like, that's something like Dave was, like, trying to calm me down about, because, like, after I had that sperm whale disentanglement thing, and I was just like so frustrated and mad like why are we fishing this way you know but it, you do have to realize like these are this is how people make the make a living and like fishermen need to make a living too and i'm in no way saying fishermen are bad people or anything but it's just and i i, th I think it, it it's there not needs like to they be want some to catch of, it they're not like oh, no, of course nobody wants to, in my trap yeah, no, you know nobody wants that, that costs but, them a thousand dollars in traps too or like whatever yeah, they're using to fish but i i there needs to be some sort of like governmental incentive to yeah. to transition to more sustainable and more yeah. modern ways to yeah. fish and yeah. that's what needs to happen if things are going to change the government has to take a step well, then, because when you look at well think about like the lobster traps too like you guys know those like new five thousand dollar lobster traps that you yeah. know gps you press a button yeah, and then the line comes up you know like, 
like that would be so awesome but it's so expensive it's not a realistic goal it has to be government subsidized for the fishermen to implement the new gear but the market also has to adjust for the price because if the fishermen that's the biggest part who's buying the fish is like we're not paying 22 dollars a pound yeah or we're not paying 50 dollars a pound when we used to get it for 14 or 11 yeah that's what's going on and Uh, dude it's it's so it's so much more in depth than we can even like there's so many more moving parts to it too it's not just like these fishermen it's like there's more to it well and to go back what you were saying amanda about like there is a lot of science and finesse to fishing like and like keeping track of things i think there's also just like unfortunately a disconnect between scientists and fishermen and some of it is this level of mistrust because relationships were not formed correctly at the beginning um and so like those guys are like the knowledge keepers of of their area and science is not having a good relationship with them to get that information into something that's going to be a beneficial conservation action yeah no instead they just shut something off yeah. That they think would be like, oh, well, we're shutting something off. It'll look really good on paper because we'll say this is going to grow yeah. again. But it's like, did you even shut off a good area kind of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think there's some well, and especially, like that especially with like pelagic fish or areas where you have, um, you know, animals moving around islands and it's very current dependent and it's variable over long periods of time. You know, when you have somebody that's been fishing for 50 years they're going to be able to tell you those long-term shifts and be like, oh, no, they're going to come back. It's just, you know, some years they disappear for three, four years, and then they're back. And, like, if you don't have access to that long-term data, mm-hmm. you know, you can't make an informed decision. Yeah. I think that's what's, yeah, fishermen's secrets. I don't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, they, you know, they have the right to be secretive. Like, it's a pretty lucrative business, and, like, you don't want to just tell everybody, oh, the bite's on and I'm lighting them up over here and I'm going to outsell you at the market. Like, <laughs> you don't keep your commodity if you tell everyone where it is. <laughs> true. I like that. Yeah, idea. but then your commodity doesn't last forever if you don't either. It's true. I'm sad. <laughs> oh, my. I swear, we all, every episode in, start, like, starts off happy and it's like, what's up? And then it's like, by the way, the ocean's depressing. <laughs> dude, it totally is. Like, it's we all sad, talk dude. about this and we all have these, like, ideas and, like, a strive for sustainability. But, I mean, what do you, what do, you do with it? Like, like, how do you change it? You vote, right? Like, we should all be voting. With your dollars and your ballots. With your dollars and your back, and that's that's what that's what's important is like a lot of people don't put enough emphasis on like uh, supply and demand. Like if we as consumers demand sustainable fish, that's what will be given to us. You know, like I don't know. Ah. <laughs> so to end on a high note, Adam, because you're just okay. false, you're spiraling. <laughs> I, I am spiraling, man. If you want to support a sustainable business like Amanda's, um, where can people find that to get connected with you guys? So it's kapasungear.com, and then we're on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, And, yeah, I designed the website myself. I'm pretty proud of it. It looks Um, good. Yeah, Yeah, I was just looking at it. It looks good. (laughs) Typos, let me know. All this cool other stuff is on there, and I'm really so excited. Just in the year of kind of launching, I thank God for Kappa because you know, not having anything to do if I didn't have Kappa Sunger to work on, oh my goodness! Um, yeah, we talked about that work life balance thing a couple months ago, <laughs> but I'm so excited to end the, the year going over there and planting. That's like, yeah, they're like, um, like they can only take five people, and they're like, yes, please come, come help. We need, you know, they didn't really have anyone over for months and months. Yeah. So I'm so excited. It's going to be a good thing. And you're going to see pictures. And Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. So yeah. I don't know. I've, I've kind of told Slater about this, but I don't know if you know about this, Adam. Kaholave is one of the four islands in the Maui Nui region. And it's uninhabited right now because it was used um, for cattle grazing. And that pretty much destroyed all the ecosystem there. And then it was used as like an aircraft target 
area. So there's like a lot of undetonated material on the island. So it's too dangerous to like be on there. Um, but like the vegetation and the plant life on the island is like destroyed. Like there's hardly any native plants there. So um, what's it called? Kaholabe Island uh, Restoration Group or something? Reserve Commission. Reserve Commission. They run trips of volunteers out to the island to do um, plant restoration out there. And their long-term goal is to um, like make the island more back to what it used to be. And like the military still doing their part to clean it up too with all the um, undetonated material. So not very many people get to go out to the island every year to assist with the planting. But Amanda's gonna get to go. I got to go a couple years ago and um, it setting foot on that island. It just, it like it touched me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is a great way to give back and not, you know? Yeah. And I like that it's local. Like, I mean, doing the global reach stuff is important too, but like, especially something like Kaholave for, for Hawaii, like that's, that's a good local project to support. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, it was so funny. We had, so to go over there, you got to sign kind of like a big long waiver. Yeah. So it's a little intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> sign your life away. Yeah. If you blow up, you can't sue. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> don't walk by the sticks. <laughs> the other way. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm so excited for you and I'm so glad you came on the podcast because you're doing all kinds of really cool stuff that's like right up our alley. Dude, Thank my you. mind is like boggled. Yeah, thanks for supporting and it's just it's one step at a time. I can't get too overwhelmed. Yeah. One time. <laughs> well, when things kind of resettle, I wanna come back. So, you know, don't forget me when you hit the big time. Yeah, right. I have two extra <laughs> with your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to come there in like February. Usually, I've the last two years I've gone like either really? January or February. Well, I think last year I went twice, right? Yeah, you came in December, like right when Amber and I got there. You're like, I'm coming. Where are the whales? <laughs> there was whales there, though. There was whales. I saw yeah. whales. So yeah. Admit. And then it's... you came again in February. Oh, I'll end come of February, times. like right before it shut down. You came at the end of February. Hey. If you want me to come mm. once a weekend, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I, need, I need to travel more. You want to go, Adam? You want to go this whales. year? Yeah, dude. I want to go see some freaking humpbacks. The only thing is, is COVID there is a, is a lot more serious. Yeah. So we'll, be gen uh, be gentle with Maui. Wait, maybe we should. Yeah, we can't really go. Yeah. Next year, 2020. Hey, we might be able to go. You don't know. I don't know, man. But we'll Just be, be gentle. The islands are fragile. Yeah, That's all I can say. But well... Thank you so much, Amanda, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Guys. So like, if you – oh, go ahead. I like your whale minds. It's, like, so fun. It's, like, <laughs> cool. Just a bunch of whale nerds. Hey, whale nerds are my kind of people, okay? Hey, that's me. <laughs> um, so if you don't follow us on Instagram, which I know Amanda now follows us, but it's at whale nerds. You can also follow her at Kappa Sun Gear um, on Facebook and Instagram for either of our platforms. And thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers who always support us while we're recording our episodes and to everybody who's listening. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Peace.